As we've mentioned a few times, we are continuing. This will be our fifth discussion from the Disciplines of Grace. Um, it's a little different in the summer to be doing a series because I think there's so much travel, and I'm in and out as well, and so um, I'll do some recap. Also, it's a topical sermon, so it's not a, typically at Grace we do what's called expository preaching, where I'll take a passage and we'll work through an entire book of the Bible, one passage at a time. So this morning we'll be looking at the discipline of solitude, but I want to give you a few reminders of what I believe we need to take away from this series of disciplines, um, the disciplines of grace. And that is, um, it's, sometimes I think when we think of disciplines, it creates maybe a fear. Like, do I have to do something in my Christian life? I mean, aren't I in? Isn't, aren't, isn't it free grace? Do I have to actually work at this? And the truth, of course, is no. I mean, God has given you grace, so on one hand, it sends it's no. On the other hand, it's yes, and that it's a gracious thing that God's allowed us to participate in our growth. Um, a thought that occurred, as I thought about the, um, this idea, we're, we're child, our children, we provide, maybe not to their liking at all times, my teenage boys are here, meals, right? You get three square meals a day, and... Um, Yet, when they're really young, what do they want to do in all ages? They want to come in and find a snack, right? They want to come in and say, I just want to, they want to have, like, without even asking mom and dad, the opportunity to walk into the kitchen, open the thing, and grab a bar. And that's, you know, of course, we're like, oh, those are for lunch. But anyway, uh, that's what grace is like. The means of grace is our ability at any point to go to God and say, I need you right now. And he's graciously available. And I think we need to remember that that's a gift. That's something that's exciting. That we can actually read our scripture. We can actually pray, fellowship, have solitude, and the other, and the other disciplines we're talking through. So that's the, um, kind of the backdrop. In the past, I've also used the illustration Doug brought up from earlier. The train is rolling over you. Our goal in the means of grace is to put ourselves in the path of the gospel. That we would simply get to a place where Jesus is available to run over us with his gospel. Now, let me be clear. He's working. His spirit is working even when we're not. But it is awesome. So that's the three square meals, right? We're getting fed. He's watching over us. He's taking care of us. But he's given us this opportunity to run into the kitchen at any time and grab food. That's the means of grace. That's kind of the uh, working illustration for the morning. Now, as we talk about solitude, it's a little different. Um, Solitude, and we're going to look at, is, is sort of one of, it's a discipline that holds the other disciplines in it. Think of the basket. Uh, you need the basket to start putting in the other disciplines. So I can talk to you about prayer and reading your scripture and preaching the gospel. Those are the three we've looked at. But we, when do you do that? When is this going to happen, right? I think sometimes with sermons, I feel like it would be like walking into a painting class and the instructor tells you there's the canvas there's the basket of fruit, there's your paint and your brush and, and the, everything you need. And you look at it and you even watch a demonstration and then you leave. You know, that's great. Next, you know, that's awesome. I like painting. Well, where do we actually take all this stuff and, and make it work in a sense? And that's the, uh, the t discipline of solitude or fellowship with the Father. Okay? So I just want to look at this. We're going to have a few scriptures to look at um, to kind of get us ready for this. We're going to look at Psalm 46, where the psalmist says, and, and this is a very common refrain or several places in the psalms, where the psalmist says, Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. How are you at being still? Is that awkward? It's kind of weird. Okay. We, start, we have that as a calling. To be still know that God is our Lord. Think of Psalm 23 also. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, sheep are agitated. But the Lord is saying, I, David is announcing that God is his shepherd and he makes him to lie down in green pastures. He leads him beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's what we are after with solitude. And then, of course, uh, there are many places where we see in the life of Jesus for him to retreat. One, one place is Mark 1, verse 35. He's begun preaching. Uh, he's, begun, he's becoming popular. People are after him. He's very, very busy. He's busier than any of you. And in verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. This is the word of the Lord, three different places, and let's pray. Father, um, you have given us an opportunity to draw near to you that we often ignore. We make complaints, we have reasons uh, that we think are good. But I ask, Holy Spirit, this morning you would open our eyes to long to be with you. Show us the reasons why we might avoid it. And give us strategies, Lord, that we might actually move closer to you through solitude and silence. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I remember, uh, I don't know how much of my life I've shared, but I, I did not grow up in the church. And so my first real entry point to ministry and the church was my freshman year of college. I started helping out with youth ministry. And really what I was doing, I think, was trying to get like four years of being in senior high as, as this freshman helper. I don't think I really helped at all. And we had, I remember, one retreat where the speaker came, and, um, you know, you have the two days, and you're going to have a few talks, and this is all kind of new to me. And there was that really weird thing that happens that some of you probably experienced, where the speaker said, after the talk, you're going to go out into the woods by yourself for 30 minutes in your Bible. I'm seeing, you know, what, what comes over you in that moment is just like fear, right? For me, you might as well just said, walk down Main Street totally naked. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, what happened? You, what do you do? You walk out, and, well, I'm a leader, so I've got to know what I'm doing. So, you know, you take your Bible in hand and hope that you know somewhere to turn. And, you know, what you, the first third of the time, you're looking for the right spot, right? You, you know, this looks pretty good to me. And you kind of find, your, oh, it's a little sharp, and you kind of keep walking around, and Finally, when you think you've settled in, there comes that group of people that shouldn't be together, but they're doing the wrong thing. You know, you're just distracted, and you're acting like you're really praying, and it's very overwhelming. Anyone experience that? I think that is what makes solitude so hard, is that it's very hard to do if you've never done it, right? You actually have to practice that discipline, that you have to actually enter into it over and over again for it to become something that's not quite so strange. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure that even today I would enter into that exercise perfectly, but I'd probably be a little more comfortable. At least I can play the part a little better now. Part of it is just an unusual spot and all of that. But, but what we want to learn to do is 
remove the internal and external distractions and draw near to the Lord, right? That's the goal. I mean, that's the goal of this morning's discussion, is I want to have you guys develop the discipline of solitude so that your prayer life, your time in the Scripture, and the first discipline that we talked about, which I'll bring up toward the end, preaching the gospel to yourself, has a basket, has a place where it can actually take root. Otherwise, you're like the painting student who just, that was good, that's interesting, well said, brother, and then you don't ever do it, right? That's not the goal. The goal is to actually see these things happen. So our goal would be um, fellowship with the Father through solitude. Who's on board with that? Raise your hand. This is like a low-key morning. All right, those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're in trouble. Okay, three things we're going to look at. What is solitude? What are the distractions? And then what would be some helpful strategies? What is solitude um, specifically? It's a time, it's a space, right? You have to have a place. You have to have some place you go, right? Jesus says, go to your inner closet, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you have a place where you can go to be alone? It's also a time. Sometimes there are places in my house where there's nobody, usually in the morning, especially in the summer. And then there are other times where that very spot might be like the center of 800 activities at once. So there's time and space that you go and you pull away, but not just to be by yourself, though that's not all bad, to be with the Father, to have fellowship with the Father. We see this all through Scripture. Moses, before he was even commissioned, lived a solitary life, right? He was a shepherd for years in the desert. And then he meets God at the burning bush, and he goes up on the Mount Sinai, and he has fellowship with God, right? And that is the... He's the one that starts the Exodus. We have Jesus himself, uh, who spent 40 days in the desert being tempted and fasting and praying in solitude, right? And it's interesting to note that probably is not the very first time he ever spent time alone. It was probably a discipline, a practice that he had all his life preparing him for that time. And I know that many of us would think, okay, I'm 30 and I'm trained and I've got a whole bunch of people ready to do ministry, let's go. And Jesus says, time to go spend 40 days alone with my Father. And then Paul, when he was commissioned on the road to Damascus, 14 years, he tells us in Galatians, he goes away and he studies, and he's, in, he's with people <clears throat> at times, but he's not publicly ministering. He's privately training and growing in Christ. So these are the... Um, men that we look at, and then you look at other Christians. I mean, if you just study any Christian, Jonathan Edwards, David Brainerd, Whitfield, Wesley, these are all, and many women in church history who would spend time alone with their father. That was a huge part of their life. And, and when we struggle in our Christianity, I bet most of us would tell each other, I'm not really spending much time in solitude, Right? That's usually the first thing that's gone. It's like not even a question. And so my encouragement is that we would recognize what is spiritual solitude and really move toward it. Um, G.K. Chesterton has a quote. He says, Christianity has not been so much tried and found wanting, but rather it's been found difficult and left untried. It's not that solitude and time with the Father has been found lacking, Rather, it seems so hard, I think we just think, that's for the super-Christians. Those few people 
who can do that. The rest of us will just kind of glean from them, read their quotes, go to hear them, etc., etc. Yet God is saying, I, I want you to be my disciple, and I want you to spend time alone with me. He's inviting you close to him. When I was in seminary, I had another experience where the professor said to the students, uh, you have to, for the project, you have to have a half day where you spend time with God, which is really, you'd think seminarians would cheer. Yeah! Everyone's like, like the kids at the, at the youth camp. It's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Now, I don't know if I cheated. Uh, I went to a coffee shop, sort of. One of my favorite coffee shops in St. Louis is across the street from Concordia Seminary. And uh, you know it. And so I just walked along. It, it's, it's a, it was the competing seminary. It was the Lutherans, Mark. So I, did, you know, I didn't know all the people on the campus. No, they were actually our sister seminary. Uh, but I didn't know anyone, so I just walked around that beautiful campus and then around the beautiful neighborhoods. And I just spent that day uh, trying to figure out how to do time alone with God. And yet I was in like my third year of seminary. We need to have people push us to do that. One of my friends took the Katy Trail and just walked and prayed and read his scripture. He said he got halfway done, like he looked at the clock, and, uh, or how did it work? He walked so far, he looked at the clock, if he doubled it back, he was going to be like an hour late to his next, like he had to get to work, so he had to run backwards. Like, not backwards, but back. So, don't do that. Like, kind of keep track. He was so enthralled in what God was showing him. Spiritual retreats, solitude, sounds great, doesn't it? What makes it so difficult? I know everyone in here, probably, especially those that raise their hands, thank you, agrees with me that this would be really, really good. Why is it so hard for us? What are the distractions? ADD? I mean, I know years ago I started going, do I have ADD? Uh, I won't give you the answer I came to, the conclusion I came to, partly because I was distracted by something else. <laughs> but now, everybody, in there, everybody just says it. It's like, my, you know, when they get a little bit hyper-focused, my OCD is coming out, right? And then they get a little distracted, my ADD is coming out. We live in the most distracted time, probably, of human existence. And I've given some thought, I don't know that this is original or anything, to focus. And I just, I think well, the reason we lose focus is not because we don't know how to focus, but it's because our hearts aren't sure what we want to focus on. Let me give you an example. As a father, I'll be sitting in a chair, and since Bonnie's not in here, and I don't want to embarrass my boys anymore, Bonnie will walk up and start telling me a story. And I'm a good dad. So I've got to stop what I'm doing and focus on Bonnie, right? But what's, what's going on in my heart? I kind of want to keep looking at Facebook, you know? And maybe this isn't that pivotal. Maybe I could sort of pretend to listen while really kind of keeping my mind on the article I'm reading over here. And so you do that kind of half-glazed-eyed, Mona Lisa smile, you know, nodding thing that they can tell. Right? She can tell that. My soul can tell that. But I'm not focusing on her because I'm afraid of letting go of what seems to be more important over here. And so what makes focus so hard, I think, so often for us is we're not quite sure we want to let go of whatever has our hearts and to let God have our hearts, even for an hour or for 30 minutes or for 15 minutes. That feels frightening. So the Bible might even be open. And maybe we've set up some time, but we're still letting our minds grip other things that are concerning us, other anxieties, 
other concerns, other posts on Facebook. Social media, right? I mean, that's the thing. Every book I read on solitude, everything I'm reading on disciplines, every one of them talks about distraction in our current culture, and not one of them was written after the iPhone. Every one of them was written before the iPhone. The iPhone has made things far worse. Like, I could make the iPhone the central topic of this entire sermon. Okay, for those of you that have the uh, knockoffs, you know, just kidding. Smartphones. What is it about smartphones that, and social media that's drawing us away? Um, it's interesting. One of the authors, Foster, who wrote way before smartphones even existed, talked about how our draw to technology is that we're afraid of being alone. Right? We are afraid of being alone. And so social media lets us feel like we're with people, right? Um, there is this, uh, int- I got this article and I saved it about a year ago. I thought maybe it'd be useful, and here it is. It's not that amazing, but it kind of is because of how, uh, you're going to be shocked at what this girl did, and it's not that big of a deal. 16-year-old Janie Litvin was married to her smartphone. She grew weary of the constant ding of notifications as the backdrop of her life. And so when her smartphone broke, she said, forget it, and she got a flip phone. She said, it's, a, it's the dinosaur of the cellular age, but she loves it. If you're a teenage girl, this is a quote, having an iPhone can be very stressful. You'll turn away from your phone, and you'll come back five minutes later, and you'll have 200 messages, 10 Snapchats, and like 15 notifications on Facebook, and just, it's a lot. I just thought it was too much, she said. And so she began to, with the flip phone, get rid of it, and she said she had some withdrawals. I was so used to doing my pre-bed Instagram checks and responding to Snapchat, but eventually she started to like it. And she even said she noticed the irony in social media. You'll be in a room of people, and the people in the room, she says, will be Snapchatting each other. I don't even really know what that means. They'll be texting each other, I do know that one, from the room. I remember we had a small group at the Carnes, and there was a room of the college students I sat with them, and they were all on their phones, which is okay. I mean, everyone's on their phone. Doing some program with each other. Like, they were communicating. It's crazy, guys. Come on. Have you ever seen people spend like $300 to go to a concert to stare at the whole thing through the screen? It's like, you just spent $300, and you got a two-inch. Why are we like that? I think there's a real fear of missing out. Once we join something like Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and we begin to have friends and have things, it becomes sort of a way to not be alone for the moment. But magically, it's also a way to not be known. Right? So I'm, I'm with people, sort of, but I'm hiding. And that's the exact opposite of time with God. When you're with God, you're completely alone, you feel, at least at first. And yet what he's calling you to do is be completely known. And that scares us. So I think we develop these habits of distraction. And there's many others. I just honed in on iPhone. But you have to ask yourself, what's distracting you from spending that time with God? Just to come back to the iPhone, if I don't say it later, I better say it now. I'm going to get really legalistic and say, if you're going to spend time with God, you've got to like, leave your iPhone somewhere else. Right? Now, I actually have mine for the clock, but even that's risky. It has to be on like private in case someone would text me or 
My, you know, you just, without even thinking, you check email. You know, here I'm supposed to have a quiet time. Oh, God, I forgot to turn that in, you know. It, it's overwhelming, and I think we have to be really, I hate to use the word positively, but we have to be somewhat legalistic with our distractions. Television. How many of you wake up and it's the first thing you've got to do is turn the TV on? Just to hear noise. I just want to know other humans exist. I want to make sure Armageddon didn't happen and I missed out, you know. I didn't get raptured. I don't know. We don't, never mind. I shouldn't have brought the rapture in that way. But I know some of you are fearful of that. You look around. Are there other humans? Okay. Okay. I don't really believe it. Never mind. We'll, just, we'll save that for another sermon on eschatology. So what are the strategies now to deal with some of these distractions? Um, I'm going to read a quote, if I can find it, from Scott Peck. Many of you have heard of M. Scott Peck. Uh, he wrote, he's a psychiatrist who wrote The Road Less Traveled. He says, there are many people I know who possess a vision of personal evolution, yet seem to lack the will for it. They want, and believe it is possible, to skip over the discipline, to find an easy shortcut to sainthood. Often, they attempt to attain it by simply imitating the superficialities of saints, retiring to the desert or taking up carpentry. As I reread that quote, I thought, I've never met one person who did either of those things. So the word often is a bit of an extreme statement. Some even believe that by such imitation, they have really become saints and prophets and are, are, are unable to acknowledge that they are still children and face the painful fact that they must start at the beginning and go through the middle. The reason I want to use that quote and I want to remind us is when you start having t- fellowship with the Father, if you haven't started, or when you say, you know what, I've been doing it for years, but I've really gotten stuck it a certain way, you're going to feel like a child. You're going to feel brand new, and you're not going to like that feeling. I want you to welcome that feeling, right? Embrace that reality. So as we get into really practical strategies, I want you to realize it's going to be very, very difficult to actually start this kind of discipline. Um, I have enjoyed books on writing. I don't know why I don't actually write. But I think it would be fun to write, so I read books on writing. One of my favorite ones is by a lady named Dorothea Brandt on um, becoming a writer. She wrote this in the 1930s, and she says, first of all, there's two things you have to do to be a writer, to start writing. The first one is you have to wake up and just start writing. Okay? And I thought, that's really interesting. It sounds really, I, I remember reading that and thinking, you really can't tell Christians things like that. They'll call you legalistic. But somehow writers are so desperately wanting to write their novel or their story or their poem or their nonfiction that they'll be real, like Stephen King's book says, get rid of TVs. Now, if I said that from here, you would put me in a box of just total kook. But for Stephen King, who makes a lot of his money from television and movies, I don't really know how he could say it, uh, tells you, get rid of your television and just write all the time. Okay, so going back to Dorothea Brandt. What would it look like for you to actually follow that thought for devotionals? I'm going to get up a little earlier than normal, and I'm going to spend time with the Lord. That was her first thing. She says, after a few weeks of that, she had a second exercise for writing, which I'm applying now to devotionals. Her second exercise was, set a time during the day when you think it's available, like 2 o'clock today, I don't have anything, and ruthlessly follow that appointment with yourself. 15 minutes. For her, she would mean... If she's in a conversation and the 2 o'clock point, i got to go. And she says, go to the bathroom and write for 15 minutes or wherever you had to go. 
I'm not sure that's an exact thing you want to do with devotionals, but what would it look like if you said every day somewhere I'm going to set up a slot where for even 15 minutes I just kind of process what's happened so far. I think about some of the scripture and I, I just take a moment in the busyness of life to get away for even 10 minutes, 5 minutes. What would that look like? So these are strategies. Um, I would like to expand on that by saying my primary goal for you would be that in one year from now, you would say, Ryan, remember that sermon on solitude? I started having daily quiet times. And I remember coming through high school and early college and thinking, oh, quiet times are so dumb. That's not what, don't do it, you know? And I'm, I've completely crossed over to like, you have to have time with your father. I mean, right? Like, how, el- how else can you grow? You're the painting student who just says, that was a great technique. Thank you, like watching Walter Alexander on Netflix. And he's painting the beautiful painting. You're like, that's really great. And you never do it. If you just come to sermons, if you just read books, but you're not going, where am I going to set up a time to read my scripture, pray, journal? It's all really sort of for naught. Is that extreme? Can I hear an amen? We're pre- John, we're Presbyterians, but can I hear an amen? Amen. He's like, I don't know... All right, thank you, thank you. Partly I just needed, I had a few minutes left and I needed to, no, I'm kidding. Okay, here's the real thing. Here's how I'm going to bring this together. You're not just not having solitude because of the iPhone, right? The reason we're not really wanting to draw near the Father is because the secret suspicion in all of our fallen hearts is that he will reject us. And even though we may not ever put that into words, that's the fear. What if I show up and he's not there? What if I open the Bible and it just is like reading a foreign language and I don't get any of it? It makes no sense to me. And so there's, I think, something that happens subconsciously and in our spirit that makes us resist moving toward God. And especially if there are sin patterns that you're clinging to. Because you can't go and meet with God while clinging to known, unrepented sin patterns. Right? Okay. So, what do we do? Um, We have to become known. That will create in you a a passion for time with God. I want to remind you of a story where Jesus, in John 4, goes to a well in a town in the middle of the day, it was Samaria. And no one else came to that area, but because it was, you know, yesterday was like 105. I mean, I just wanted to go home. Did anyone else just feel like, I don't want to be out right now? Anyone? That's every day at this well. Every day at this well, at the middle of the day, it's like not even going near it. So all the cool people came when it was cooler outside. Well, this one woman didn't want anyone to know her. She was ashamed of her life. So she shows up at the middle of the day, and there's Jesus. And they begin to have a theological discussion. And she's actually debating with the Messiah. And she's pretty good in holding her own until he says something to her. Go and get your husband. And she realized, you know, oh no, here we go. I've got to share my sin. Well, I don't have a husband. She says, you're right. You've had like, I think it's five husbands. And now the man you're living with is not even your actual husband. And she was exposed. And it was in that moment where she was exposed, 
and yet he told her about who he is and why he came and he shares the gospel with her, that she was completely and utterly changed. And she fled to town to the very people she wanted to avoid at all costs and go out in the heat of the day to get water. She fled to those people and said, I've just met Jesus. You will not enjoy solitude if you're not going to God and opening your soul. If you're not allowing him to see all the places that you're trying to hide. So, the key goal then of the basket of solitude is the, the disciplines we talked about of Scripture and of prayer, but both of those need to be avenues for preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Every day. There is not one day where you don't wake up self-righteous. There is not one day you don't wake up and secretly think either you don't deserve anything or you somehow figured it all out and you don't need God. There, our flesh is so cunning that, as Luther has taught us and so many others have said, you have to go fresh every day to Jesus. And through reading his word and through prayer, begin to confess your sin. And by far the chief sin that we have to confess is our unbelief. We really do sort of think we can make it through this world on our own. We really do think, if we were about to start ministry, that 40 days in the desert would be a monstrous waste of time. That's the craziest way. I've never met one church planner who said, I'm about to plant a church, I'm going to go be alone for 40 days. It's like fundraising, website development, meetings, and God says, come to me, be known, be alone, and that will give you the power to go out into the world and deal with all of the craziness. Daily quiet times, I hope, or you can call it fellowship times, to avoid the scoffing. Momentary moments where you pull away, whether you're in the car. I mean, again, I love to drive without radio. My kids hate it. <laughs> they hate it. Turn the radio on, Dad. I can't handle silence. Coleman just puts his own deals in. No, hey, I love you guys. <laughs> They're both mad. I'm going to pay for that later. But also, let me encourage you in closing to think about longer periods of time and to begin to train yourself for maybe three hours or a day, right? Where, and, and, okay, and I was telling my wife about this, and she said, and I'm, I'm, she's not in here, and I'm going to call her out, so that's even worse than calling my sons out. Um, she said, I'm just so busy. How am I going to find the time? And I really, all I can say is, I'll say two answers. One, there, there was a writer, Trollope, I believe, who wrote one of the most prolific writers in English history, all fiction, probably not very good. He was a postman, and he did all of his writing before work. Like 8 a.m. he was done writing. And he, and he wrote volumes. Okay, there's your writing illustration. But the better illustration is Jesus. The busiest person ever. Would, he would get up and find a way to be with his father because it meant so much. And so, there will be seasons where that's not very possible. Mothers with young children, don't stress out. I mean, I'm not, I remember someone looked at Emily and said, when you have little babies, don't overburden yourself with extreme amounts of time, but just a little quiet time, you know, with the Lord is the goal to get started, right? To be known, to share your sin, to share your excitement and what he's done in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good that you meet with us where and whenever we can find a few moments.
In some ways, Father, we have so much opportunity to meet with you that we take advantage of that. If we had to fill in a slot on a timesheet of when we could actually go before your throne, I think we would all clamor to fill in the slot and to prepare and to show up. But sometimes there's so much opportunity that we just are negligent. Will you forgive us? But Lord, I pray we'd see you as a good, good father. Let us not believe the lie of the evil one, that you are harsh. You are not harsh. You have rescued us. You've died for us. You've given us your righteousness. We are redeemed. We are adopted. And now we get to fellowship with you any and every moment we want, even while we're working, even while we're with our children or in a job or driving or anything else. We can actually fellowship with you. But I do pray, Father, particularly for moments where we can have solitude with you and shut the world out. Will you help us, Holy Spirit? In your name we pray. Amen.